0: This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone and welcome back to the first. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man So tonight we begin bi'idhnillahi ta'ala with the story of a great woman who has a legacy that really extends far beyond, SubhanAllah, her time with the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. But at the same time, uh, her story of entering into Islam and the unique trials that she faced, like many others, give us a lot of insight into the early struggles of some of these converts, as well as some of the lessons that we can take for our own trials and tribulations, and of course, once again, appreciating the Prophet SallAllahu and how he dealt with these unique situations. Now with Umm Salama radiAllahu ta'ala Anha, we're really going to talk about her story in, in two parts. So we're going to have to separate this out inshallah ta'ala. The first part is her life with Abu Salama radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu, her first husband prior to the Prophet SallAllahu who has a great ranking himself. You know, and we were talking about Ja'far ibn Abi Talib radiAllahu ta'ala anhu being overshadowed by Ali ibn Abi Talib radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. Talk about Abu Salama, you know, how often have you heard of the story of Abu Salama who has a story himself that is worth its own biography. So we're going to talk about the early entrance into Islam of Umm Salama and Abu Salama and the painful struggle of this family to uphold what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to them and then of course, the separation of these two uh, more than once and then coming into the life of the Prophet وسلم, through the marriage of Umm Salama radiallahu anha and then we'll talk about her legacy as such inshallah ta'ala from next week ta'ala. So let's talk about these two inshallah ta'ala and there's a lot of family connections for us to draw. Her name is Hind bint Abi Umayya ibn al-Mughira, Hind bint Abi Umayya ibn al-Mughira. She is from the tribe of Makhzum. And if you have heard the tribe of Makhzum many times, it's because it's the famous tribe of the likes of Abu Jahl and the likes of Khalid ibn al walid ta'ala anhu. So it's a powerful tribe, as you know, it is a tribe that, uh, you know, has something to do with much of the early rivalry with the Prophet SallAllahu It is the tribe that tortured the family of Sumayya, Ammar, Yasir, And it is a tribe that also produced some of the greatest companions eventually uh, to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, of course, Umm Salama and Abu Salama, both being from this tribe uh, amongst Banu Mahzum. So her father, Abu Umayyah, was not just any Mahzumi. He was not just any tribesman, but rather he was the tribal chief of Banu Mahzum. He was known for his nobility. He was known for his generosity. He was known particularly for his hospitality to those that would come to Mecca for the various pilgrimages and, and, and festivals that would take place. So if you if you remember with Abu Jahal, there was this idea of Banu Makhzum and Banu Hashim competing. And a lot of that competition, you know, came down to hospitality. So Abu Umayyah was known as the one that would finance most of the hospitality on behalf of Banu Makhzum to those that would come to Mecca. So she grows up in this home of a noble leader. Now her brothers, Amr, Abdullah, and Al-Walid, they're also companions of the Prophet But she precedes all of her brothers to Islam. So Abdullah and Walid would uh, would do hijrah later on, and they would embrace Islam later on in the Madani period, not in the early days of persecution in Mecca. And Amr would accept Islam at Fatih Mecca, at the conquest of Mecca. And Subhanallah, one of the the beautiful. Uh, things about this is you have uh, one of the situations where a brother is narrating a hadith from his sister. So many of the ahadith that we have from Umm Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anha come through her brother Amr who would accept Islam at the conquest of Mecca. So she proceeds all of her siblings to Islam but her three brothers would become Muslim. Her first cousin was Khalid ibn al-Walid radiAllahu ta'ala anha. if you if you think about the, the chain here, you have Umm Salama, Hind, Bint Abi Umayya, Ibn Al-Mughira, Khalid, Ibn Al-Waleed, Ibn Al-Mughira, right? So there's a cousin in Khalid عنه, and Abu Jahl was her father's cousin. So she's not just from the same tribe as Abu Jahl, who is the chief enemy of the Prophet وسلم, or of Khalid, who would fight against the Prophet for uh, most of the Prophet's life in Islam, but then become of course a hero in Islam, but uh, she's she's also their direct relative. She's also, and this is this is a really interesting point, SubhanAllah, that um, sometimes could be lost. She is also the sister of Ammar Ibn Yasir through breastfeeding. Now remember, uh, there is law at the time where, and of course till now, where uh, lineage or, or uh, rather brothers and sisters, mahram relationships could be established through uh, through breastfeeding. So she is the sister of Ammar ibn Yasir through, uh, through breastfeeding. She is actually the one who narrates a very famous narration about Ammar ibn Yasir ta'ala anhu that taqtul Ammar al-fi'atul baghiya that Ammar radiAllahu ta'ala anhu would be killed by the transgressing army. And she narrates this as the Prophet is uh, is is moving his fingers through the hair of Ammar So it gives you some insight also into Banu Makhzum where you have Yasir and Sumayya uh, growing up, and Ammar growing up amongst Banu Makhzum, but of course never actually from Banu Makhzum because of their status. But she is related to Ammar ibn Yasir ta'ala anhu ahlihi ajma'een. So there's a lot to be said about that. Now let's talk about her husband her husband Abdullah ibn Abdul Asad also Makhzumi from Banu Makhzum and he was the prophet sallallahu cousin from his mother's side so the mother of Abdullah ibn Abdul Asad uh, who is Abu Salama his mother was Barra bint Abdul Muttalib his mother was Barra bint Abdul Muttalib so uh, she is uh, the the uh, of course the aunt of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam making Abu Salama the first cousin of the Prophet SallAllahu and he's also the Prophet SallAllahu brother through breastfeeding. Okay, so uh, there is a close relationship between Abu Salama and the Prophet SallAllahu even prior to Islam. And this is important to note as well. When did Abu Salama and Umm Salama become Muslim? Uh, Abu Salama is considered amongst the earliest converts to Islam. He accepted Islam alongside Al-Arqam ibn Abi Al-Arqam and Ubaid ibn al-Harith before the days of Dar Al-Arqam even started. So that's that's one of the markers of how early people came into Islam. If they came into Islam before the Prophet ﷺ even started to gather the companions in the house of Al-Arqam ibn Abi Al-Arqam, uh, then that is a sign that they are from uh, the first batch, the first handful of people to accept Islam. And so some of the narrations, they put Abu Salama as the 11th person to accept Islam. That's how early they put him radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. And of course, uh, Umm Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anha being his wife, they put her as as the 14th or 15th person to accept Islam. So Abu Salama accepted Islam before Umm Salama. They were already married. Abu Salama accepted Islam and then shortly afterwards, his wife Umm Salama uh, would accept Islam. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala be pleased with them both. Now we don't know much about Umm Salama or Abu Salama prior to Islam except for the circumstances that they were born in, except for their lineage, except for their family relationships. We don't know the story of Umm Salama accepting Islam herself or coming to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. However, what we do know is that these two, Abu Salama and Umm Salama were amongst the few and are considered to be the first to make the three hijras. Now, you might be wondering, where are the three Hijrah's coming from? We talked about two hijras. There were two hijras to Abyssinia. Okay, two migrations to Abyssinia, and then of course the migration to Medina. Abu Salama and Umm Salama were amongst the first to migrate, and they are considered actually the first family to go to Habasha, to go to Abyssinia. And the second migration to Abyssinia is when the rumor had spread through Abyssinia that Quraysh had embraced Islam, they came back to Mecca. When they realized it was not, not true, they went back to Abyssinia. Okay, so they made two hijras to Abyssinia. And uh, as they as they came to Mecca, one of the things that's narrated is that they were actually the guests of Abu Talib when they would come to Mecca. So that's how close they are to the family of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. And of course, a lot of that is through the mother of Abu Salama uh, Barra bint Abdul Muttalib uh, being from that family. So anyway, they, they're amongst those that made the hijrah twice to Abyssinia and then made hijrah to Medina. And so they're noted as the first uh, to make the three hijrahs. They served again, uh, uh, you know, or they stayed in the house of Abu Talib. And most of the narrations about Abyssinia are actually through Umm Salama. So almost everything we know about An najashi The story of Ja'far ibn Abi Talib radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, speaking to and Najashi, the story of the two armies that we talked about last week and Zubair anhu being sent out swimming in the Nile to find out what had happened. All of that is narrated through Umm Salama anha. So imagine what this woman has seen, right? SubhanAllah, if she did not narrate to us the stories about Abyssinia, then last week's lecture, we probably would have had, you know, very little of that information. So how much history is preserved through her eyes through that migration to Abyssinia. Just like Ja'far ta'ala Anhu and Asma' bin Umaysh, they had their child in Abyssinia. So uh, Salama, who is the, the son of Umm Salama and Abu Salama, Salama was actually born in Abyssinia, born in this community in exile. So anyway, as they are there in uh, Abyssinia, and narrating what has happened of the glorious history that we took from Ja'far and from Najashi and all of those incredible stories that took place there in Abyssinia. What what makes Umm Salama most famous or what makes her story the most famous outside of her marriage to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is what happens after they come back. Okay, after they come back. So they're in Abyssinia, they already came back when they heard that Quraysh had accepted Islam, and that was a false rumor. They went back to Abyssinia. They were amongst those that were close to Al-Najashi. She narrates all that happened in Abyssinia, and then they come to Mecca as they hear that the Prophet SallAllahu Wasallam is about to make the hijrah to al Madina. Now some people made hijrah directly from Abyssinia to Medina. So they're coming to Mecca, and they're going to prepare themselves to accompany the Prophet Sallallahu on his journey as he makes his way to Al-Madinah. So they come back to Mecca, Abu Salama, Umm Salama, and now their child Salama, and they're staying in the house of Abu Talib. They prepare their luggage, they prepare everything that they're going to take with them. They set out to leave as a family, and SubhanAllah, as these three people are together, all three of them are about to witness something that, you know, that, that's going to take them apart from each other. Abu Salama and Umm Salama and their child are heading out, and then Banu Makhzum comes and they intercept the the the, uh, the mount of Abu Salama, Umm Salama, and the child and all that they have with them. And they bring with them archers and they bring swords. And Banu Makhzum the family of Umm Salama in particular, they say that listen, Abu Salama is a crazy man and he can do whatever he wants to do. But Umm Salama, she's one of us, she's from our family. So she and her son have to stay with us. So they basically said Abu Salama, even though again, he's related to them, he's from the same tribe, but Umm Salama's direct relatives, Umm Salama is closer in that she is the daughter of the chief, right? The former chief of this tribe. And she's the first cousin of Abu Jahl and Khalid. They say, look, Abu Salama can go, we don't care about him but the woman and the child will stay. And this is of course part of the psychological torture as well of the early Muslims, right? So family separation that's going to take place here. So this whole scuffle um, arises, they're pulling them apart from one another and they forcibly uh, separate Abu Salama from his wife and his son. They send Abu Salama on his way to Medina. Okay, so they fight Abu Salama away from Umm Salama and the child. They take Umm Salama and the child away. And Abu Salama is sent on his way to Medina by himself. So now, SubhanAllah, this family that has been together from before Islam on two migrations to Abyssinia, Abu Salama and Umm Salama are separated and Umm Salama has her child. And as she has her child, she's crying, she's weeping as a result of what had just taken place uh, with her husband being taken away from her. To make matters worse, the family of Abu Salama hears what happens. And this is not about Islam or any religious conviction. This is now about pride, about family pride and ego. So they come to the house of Um Salama, who's now with her relatives, with Salama, her child. And they say, listen, you want to play that game? Um Salama is yours then. But the child is to be ascribed to his father. So because Abu Salama is from us, the child belongs to us. And so another fight ensues. And Umm Salama radiyallahu ta'ala anha was still breastfeeding her child Salama. He's still a baby, okay? And they are pulling him away. You can imagine the scene, they're trying to pull him away from Umm Salama. She is screaming, holding on to her child. And SubhanAllah, as they were pulling Salama, the baby away, they pulled him away so aggressively that they dislocated his shoulders. And this completely, Broke Umm Salama, radiyallahu taala anha. Can you imagine, subhanallah, the uh, the difficulty that she is facing, right? That she is in this situation where, you know, she she does not have her husband or her child now. So anyway, some time goes on, and Umm Salama, taala anha, is uh, is is crying every single day, crying every single day she would go out actually towards the kaaba every day and she would weep and as she would weep she would retell the stories of her husband being taken away from her and her child being taken away from her the separation that took place and she would cry to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala she would curse those that broke up her family and she would ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a way out now this is uh really something to imagine in terms of the growth of character and spirituality. Can you imagine Um Salama doing this for an entire year? This was not just a month. This was not a few weeks. This separation took place for an entire year, okay? So she's going towards the Kaaba. She is crying out. Eventually, they bring her back her child, all right? The family feels bad for her. They bring her back her child. But she doesn't just want her child. She wants her husband as well. So it actually shows that as, as time goes on, some of the relatives of Umm Salama, they, they said, look, you know, what is what harm is it going to do to you if you let her go? Right, at this point, her husband is gone. You know, what harm is it going to do to let her go? Why are you holding her captive? Let the poor woman join her family. So the family of Mughira, they say, listen, just just go ahead and let her go. So finally, as this time goes on, she's told that she can go and she can be with her husband. Uh, She, uh, Banu Asad gives her her baby back. So she now has her child back and she's told you're free to go with your husband. So she makes her way, you know, to to pack her, her bags. She doesn't ask for anyone to escort her to Medina. By herself, she takes her baby now who she's been separated from all of this time she mounts her baby and she starts to make her way out uh, towards Medina all by herself, all by herself. All she has is her camel and her baby. This is an extremely dangerous situation, especially in the hostility that took place at the time, right? She could be overtaken by highway robbers. Her baby could die along the way. She could get lost. This is not an easy journey for her to make, but she just wants to be with her husband and she wants to join the Prophet SallAllahu and the companions. In, Mecca, in Medina as she had initially planned. So, Umm Salama anha, she tells the story. She says, I took my camel, I put my son on the back, my baby on the back, and I set out for Medina, and I had no one with me. I wasn't thinking about the circumstances of this travel. She just wanted her family back, right? So, she said, I got all the way out to Tanaim, which is about five miles outside of Mecca. Uh, Tanaim, of course, is where Masjid Aisha is, where you make the, uh, where there's a miqat for the people of Mecca, where where you go out and you, um, you know, you you can uh, do a hiram and proclaim your intention for Umrah. So she said, I made it a few miles out of Mecca. I made it to Tanaim and I had my baby. And there was a man by the name of Uthman ibn Talha. And he was on his way back from a journey. Now Uthman ibn Talha was a noble man, but he wasn't a Muslim. and uh, he was so noble that he was the one that was in charge of the keys of the Kaaba. So you, you remember the story of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam prior to Islam and the people fighting over who's going to place the black stone and the different claims that are being made by tribes to the Kaaba. Uthman ibn Talha is the one who actually uh, carries the keys to the Kaaba. So he's an honorable man. He wasn't yet Muslim at this point. He would become Muslim later on by the way. And he sees this woman and her baby all by themselves, you know, on a camel, making their way out to Medina. So he comes to Um Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha, and he says to her, Um Salama, where are you going? And she said, I'm going to Medina to be with my husband. And he says, don't you have anyone with you? She says, I have no one but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this child of mine. That's all I have is the baby and I have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, by Allah, you will not be left alone. I'm not gonna let you do this alone. He said, what kind of man would I be to let you go out and do this alone. So Uthman radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, he held my camel, Um Salam is the one telling the story. He held my camel and he set off on this journey with me. She says, Wallahi, I have never seen anyone from the Arab that was as noble as this man. He would not look at me. He would not talk to me. The way he maintained his nobility, SubhanAllah, look how, look how, uh, look how honorable this man is. He's not even Muslim. He doesn't believe in the mission that's causing her to go out. But even though he is all alone and he's the one that's taking this on, he takes Umm Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anha and she says that whenever we would get to a stop, he would he kept his eyesight in front of him, he never looked back, he would cause the camel to kneel and then he would go far away, okay? He'd go far away. He'd give me my time to do whatever I had to do and then uh, after he would, uh, he would you know, tie the camel, uh, you know, leave it there, he would go and he would rest far away from me, okay? Then he would come back and he would, again, maintain his gaze away from me. And he would, told me, he would tell me that I could mount the camel. He would set the camel up and then he would stand far away to let me mount the camel. He'd come back and then after I was settled on the camel, he would continue to hold on to the brittle of the camel until we reached our next stop. He kept on doing this all the way until we reached to the outskirts of Medina. And by the way, notice that Uthman Allahu ta'ala anhu, in this situation, Uthman does not have a camel himself. He did this by foot. He made the entire journey from Mecca to Medina by foot for a woman that was not his relative, for a mission that he did not yet believe in, but his nobility, the good character, the honor that he had, which would eventually lead him to embrace Islam, caused him to do what he did. And Umm Salamah radiAllahu ta'ala anha says, we're going, he continues to walk in front of me, sets the camel aside. He continues doing this for however long the journey took. And we know that it was a journey of at least a few weeks until we reached to Quba, which is the outskirts of course of Medina. And he pointed to the, the village of the family of Amr ibn Auf in Quba. He said, your husband should be there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be with you as you continue forward. And so I took my camel and Salama, the baby, to Quba. This noble man simply turned around and went back to Mecca again by foot. What an incredible human being he is. SubhanAllah, what an incredible human being he is. What a noble man he is. He walked both ways and he did not even go to Abu Salama and say, all right, you can pay me now. I brought your wife and I brought your baby by foot from Mecca. Uh, can you pay me some money? Or are you gonna give me something back? Can you at least give me a camel or a horse to go back? He did it all out of his sense of nobility and his sense of duty to Um Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anha seeing this woman alone that was going to take her child. Contrast this by the way, to the people that separated the family out of arrogance, right, and ego and to, and to torture them. And separated first a wife from her husband, then a child from both of their parents. And this man who was also not Muslim, but who had the noble qualities that would eventually lead him to Islam, walking back and forth without asking anything in return. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. So Um Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha went forward, and indeed Abu Salama was there. Now, I wanna, I wanna actually fast forward just quickly before we get back to the rest of this story of Umm Salama and Abu Salama being reunited. What happened to Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anha? Uthman ibn Talha would accept Islam years later, and I want you to think of the scene now of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam in Fatih Mecca, in the conquest of Mecca. Remember the people used to fight over the sides of the Kaaba. they fought over who to, who's gonna put the black stone, of course, as we said, the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam solved that. When the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam came back to Mecca in Fatih Mecca, the keys of the Kaaba were given to him. The expectation was that Banu Hashim, the tribe of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam would naturally hold on to the keys of the Ka'bah. So, Al-Abbas of course, was a wealthy man, a powerful man, a noble man. Al-Abbas says to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, let us hold on to these keys. The Prophet SallAllahu is standing in front of the Kaaba, and the people are all surrounding the Prophet SallAllahu waiting to see what he's going to do. The Prophet says, where is Uthman ibn Talha? Where is Uthman ibn Talha? Uthman ibn Talha comes forth, the Prophet puts the keys in his hands, and the Prophet says that the keys of the Kaaba are to stay with him, and not just him, but only his descendants, only his descendants are to hold on to these keys. And the Prophet said, Only a ظلم, only an oppressor will take these keys away from you. And subhanAllah, until today, the keys of the Kaaba have passed down. From Uthman ibn Talha to his next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, to where his descendants are the only people that are allowed to hold on to the keys of the Kaaba and to open it. No one can take the keys away from the descendants of Uthman ibn Talha at the order of the Prophet. ﷺ. So this shows you, you know, this dimension of the Prophet ﷺ as well, where the Prophet ﷺ is acting upon the sense of nobility being tied to character. Not nobility being tied to lineage or to tribe, right? Completely undoing the hierarchy that existed at the time of the Prophet ﷺ that gave superiority to people based upon tribe. The Prophet ﷺ is honoring an honorable man here. Until, subhanAllah, our times, till now, this man is still honored by that action. And of course, Uthman ibn Talha did not ask the Prophet ﷺ for any payment on that day when he brought Umm Salama forward. But look how Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala repaid him. So I know we're gonna talk about Umm Salama and how Allah repaid her. Look how Allah repaid this man who did not ask the Prophet for any coins or for any uh, payment when he brought Umm Salama to Medina. Allah Azza wa Jal paid him back with something even far greater than that. So finally now, we're back in Medina. Um Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anha finds her husband indeed in the place of Amr ibn Uf where, uh, where uh, Uthman ibn Talha told her that he would be in Quba. And this family will now stay together in al Madina in the companionship of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and they will go on to have more children. Uh, some narrations which, are, which seem to be more correct uh, suggest three more children. Some suggest even five more children, uh, giving them either four children or six children in total because as we said Salama was born in Abyssinia. So then they have Durra who is a, a daughter, Umar and Zainab. Okay, so Salama, Durra, Umar and Zainab. And uh, some mentioned two other children, Muhammad and Umm Kulthum, but it seems uh, more correct to say that they had four in total that were uh, that were born to them. Three uh, immediately, one after the other in Medina. Literally every year, there was a child that was born to Abu Salama and Umm Salama. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala be pleased with them and the whole family. Abu Salama, is a close companion of the Prophet SallAllahu He accompanies the Prophet SallAllahu Wasallam in Badr. So he is a person who made the three hijras and then he fought in Badr. So he has the noble title of being amongst the people of Badr, the veterans of Badr, who of course uh, hold a lofty position in Islam. He then accompanies the Prophet SallAllahu Wasallam in Uhud and he fights alongside the Prophet SallAllahu bravely in Uhud and he is wounded in Uhud and the wounds in Uhud would eventually cause him to pass away. Okay, so it would be months later, but the wounds that he uh, that he takes in Uhud would eventually be the wounds that would reopen or the sickness or the infection that comes as a result of those wounds would be the wounds that Abu Salama would pass away from. But until that time, for three years, you have Abu Salama, Umm Salama, Umm Salama gets pregnant every year, a new child is brought into Medina Abu Salama, a brother of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, one of the most beloved companions to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he comes home from the companionship of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi one day, and he's full of joy. And Umm Salama anha uh, gives us this narration. She says, Abu Salama came home so happy, and he said to Umm Salama, I heard the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam say something today. أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنْ كَذَا وَكَذَا It was more beloved to me than this and that. It's the most beloved thing to me to hear. What an amazing thing I heard from the Prophet Sallallahu today. Um Salama said, what is it? He says, I heard the Prophet Sallallahu say that whoever says at the moment of calamity, lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un,' Allahumma fi The very famous dua, Allah Majnuni fi Musibati wa Khayra minha. That of course to Allah we belong and to Allah we return. O oh Allah, compensate me for my, tra- my my tragedy and give me better than that which was taken away from me. O oh Allah, compensate me for my tragedy and give me better than that which was taken away from me. Abu Salama said, I heard the Prophet Sallallahu say, Whoever says this at the moment of calamity. Will be given something better by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abu Salama has no idea at the time that he is giving Umm Salama the dua that she will make when he dies. SubhanAllah, he's narrating it from the Prophet and he is the one in complete joy and happiness because this is an amazing dua that the Prophet is teaching the companions here. Sometime after that, as we said, Abu Salama was wounded in Uhud. After Uhud, he struggled with those wounds. He tried to fight through them. His sickness uh, was on and off. He even in fact went on another expedition according to some narrations, and his wounds were reopened. And eventually he would succumb to those wounds months months after uh, Uhud, uh, up to six months after the battle of Uhud. And Umm Salama radiyallahu ta'ala anha narrates the incident uh, that takes place there. She says Rasulullah came to our home and some of the relatives of Abu Salama were surrounding him in his bed. And the Prophet stood on top of Abu Salama and of course, this is a dear companion to the Prophet and the relatives are surrounding the bed of Abu Salama and Abu Salama is looking up and as you see with some people when they pass away, uh, suddenly his sight became fixed. Okay, so he was looking up, he was breathing hard radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he was trying to overcome his wounds, he was not able to, and his sight became fixed, and he stopped breathing. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he took his two noble fingers alayhi salatu and he closed the eyes of his beloved companion, Abu Salama, and he said sallallahu alayhi wasallam that when the body passes away, when the, when, when the person passes away, the soul follows the sight, okay? If you remember in the Angels series, we actually talked about this narration. The soul follows the person's sight. So uh, the ruh had come out of the body of Abu Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anhu and when the Prophet closed his eyes and he said that, the family of Abu Salama started to weep heavily and the Prophet ﷺ said, Don't supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala anything except that which is good for you. Because the angels say Ameen to whatever you say. The angels are going to say Amin to whatever you say. So make sure the dua that you're going to make right now at the time of death of your loved one, who is a shaheed, who is a person who made three hijras, who is the 11th person to accept Islam, who is the brother of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, one of the greatest companions, a Badri, and a Shaheed of Uhud. Don't say anything right now except for good because the angels are going to say, Ameen. And the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam then made the du'a for Abu Salama, Allah khfir li Abi Salama, wa darajatahu fil Mahdeen, wa lahu qabrihi, wa lahu he said SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Allah forgive Abu Salama, raise his status amongst your rightly guided servants, make his grave spacious, fill it with light and be his successor in taking care of those who he has left behind and make them amongst the pious. This hadith is in Sahih Muslim, uh, the death of Abu Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi then took the body of Abu Salama, they washed the body of Abu Salama and the Prophet led the Janaz of Abu Salama with nine takbirat. And I know that sounds strange to a lot of people, but it is authentically narrated that the Prophet led the Janaz of Abu Salama with nine takbirat. And this is something that is also narrated for some of the other shuhada. Something special that the Prophet did for some of the Shuhada. What did the Prophet say between nine takbirat instead of the four that we uh, that we say? Allah knows best. I don't think it's authentically narrated anywhere what the Prophet said uh, between the different takbirat, the nine takbirat. However, this was a special distinction and an honor that the Prophet gives for Abu Salama as he leads his janazah. So now, once again, Um Salama is separated from her husband, but this time it's death, right? And she has Salama was a young child when she came to Medina and then she has three children, right? Presumably we're talking about, you know, a three-year-old, a two-year-old, a one-year-old when you're looking at the timeline. Okay, so she literally has this this group of of young children, of small children that are with with her at that point. Salama has grown a bit older. He's the only one that's a bit older than uh, the rest of the children. And as soon as she heard that Abu Salama had passed away. While well, she's witnessing this moment of the death of Abu Salama, she said, I remembered what he told me, what he narrated from the Prophet ﷺ. So SubhanAllah, the man who is dead in front of them narrated from the Prophet ﷺ to her, the dua to be said at the time of al-musiba, at the time of tragedy. So at that time, she said, I remembered the dua that Abu Salama taught me at that moment. So I said, Oh Allah, compensate me for my tragedy and grant me better than that which was taken away from me. And she said that after I made that dua though, I thought to myself, who better than Abu Salama? There is no one better than Abu Salama, right? I mean, this is a noble man, a noble companion, a great human being, a person who was a great Muslim, a person of great character, a person who loved his wife, who loved his family, She's like, who is better than Abu Salama? So even though she made the dua as she was instructed to, she thought to herself, who is better than Abu Salama? She says, I said it. She said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Allah indeed gave me better. He gave me the Messenger of Allah. Now, this was not an immediate response to the dua and not something that happened immediately after the death of Abu Salama. Um Salama radiAllahu ta'ala anha has four children. She is a woman that has been through a lot, right? I mean, the pain of being by herself and separated from her husband and her child in Mecca, amongst people that rejected Allah and His Messenger and held her captive, that pain is still there. She's been through a lot, right? And she has four children. And who comes to her? Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes to her and proposes to her. But guess what? She turns it down. Umar ibn khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes to her and proposes to her. She turns down his proposal too. To her, no one, no one from the companions is equal to Abu Salama radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Right? She, She loves him too much and she's seen so much of him. But then the proposal comes to her, of course, from the one man who was indisputably better than Abu Salama. You know, she could argue that no no one else was better than Abu Salama, but she can't say that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi was not better than Abu Salama. So she says, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam sent to me, Hatib ibn Abi Balta, to propose on his behalf. So I uh, said, to, I said to him, I said, listen. <laughs> you know, obviously she was she was blown away by the proposal of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but she said to uh, to the Prophet Slisim in response, she said that, I have three issues though. She said, number one, I'm an extremely jealous person. Uh, Even though polygamy was the norm at the time, she's not used to that. She's never been in a polygamous situation. She is, you know, she, she doesn't know how to deal with the situation. She says, look, I'm a very jealous person. So that's my first issue. She said, the second thing is, I'm not that young. I'm an old woman. Now, obviously, she's not very elderly, right? Because she's still at the age where she was able to bear children. Um, you know, so she's not that old, but she says that, you know, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a young woman, I'm an old woman. And she said the third thing is that I have children to care for. So I have three issues. I'm jealous, extremely jealous. I am elderly, and I have children that I have to take care of. I have four children that come with me as well. SubhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ responds and he says, as for her ghira she says ad'u and bil i ask allah I'll, I'll make dua for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do away with your ghira <laughs> or to help you through that jealousy and you should just pray to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help you through the jealousy uh, that will come prophet says as for your age you and i have the same condition we're both we both have age as an issue right so it's not like i'm uh, young also right so we're both uh, advanced in our age in that sense and then the Prophet says, "And as for your family, they are my family. This is beautiful. As for your family, they will be my family. Your family will not be treated any differently as they come into the household of the Prophet And so indeed, Allah subhanahu wa taala answered her du'a and granted her better than Abu Salama, who was very hard to top. Right, but he can only be topped by the Messenger of Allah himself the Prophet uh, marries her. And I'm not gonna talk uh, too much right now about what happens next. I'm just gonna give one incident that speaks to the last part of what the Prophet said to her about her family being like the family of the Prophet or being indeed the family of the Prophet Zainab, the daughter of Umm Salama, is going to play a very special role in the life of the Prophet Zainab is going to become a close daughter to the Prophet وسلم, and someone whose legacy is an extension of the legacy of Umm Salama radiallahu anha. We'll talk a bit about that uh, next week, uh. But this is this is not just lip service that the Prophet وسلم, was paying to Umm Salama. There is an incident that took place where the Prophet وسلم, saw Al Hassan al Husayn and Fatima, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all, his family. And the Prophet sallallahu embraced all of them. As we said, when we talked about uh, Fatima radiallahu anha and al-Hasan and al-Husayn, how beloved they were to the Prophet sallallahu He used to put them under his cloak, alayhi salatu wasallam. He used to embrace his children and his grandchildren, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He loved them. And as he embraced them, he said, he recited the ayah, rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu alaykum ahl albayt, innahu hamidun Majid, the ayah from Surah Al-Hood. May the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and the blessings of Allah be upon you, O people of the household. Okay. Now this is referring to in, in Surah Hud, of course, Ibrahim Alayhis Salam. But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is using the same thing to refer to his household, Ali Muhammad, like Ali Ibrahim, in this sense. So he's embracing Fatima, Al hasan Al Hussein, and he uh, he he says these words. When he says that Umm Salama is witnessing that Umm Salama started to cry, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says to her, Ya Umm Salama, why are you crying? And she said to the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, you left me and Zainab out. You left me and my daughter out. So the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam then includes them. And he says, Anti wa min You and your daughter are from Ahlulbayt. You and your daughter are from my family. You are from the people of the household as well. So you see the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam making it a point to include them and to, uh, to, to treat uh, them like his own Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the children of Umm Salama, and we will see that with Zainab Allahu Anha which we'll talk about inshallah ta'ala a bit next week uh, Two quick notes inshallah ta'ala as we end uh, this lecture and then we'll talk about the legacy of Umm Salama in knowledge and her companionship with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi One of them is that some of the scholars point to the marriage of the Prophet Sallallahu to Umm Salama anha as being the first thing that really opened the heart of Khalid ibn al-Waleed to Islam Because remember, Khalid was the cousin of Umm Salama and very close to that family, that is his family. So when he heard that the Prophet SallAllahu married her, uh, this, this uh, noble woman from Banu Makhzum, his cousin, then that was something that softened his heart towards the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. And lastly, if you remember the story of Ja'far, Ali, and Zaid all wanting to take care of Umama, the daughter of Hamza. May Allah be pleased with them all. If you remember when Hamza anhu was martyred, and you had the uh, the the argument, if you will, that took place between Zaid, Ali, and Ja'far about who would take who would take care of the uh, the daughter of Hamza, Umama radiAllahu taala anha. The Prophet sallallahu would marry Umama bint Hamza, who of course was taken by Ja'far, would marry uh, her to Salama radiAllahu taala anhu. The daughter, the son of Abu Salamah and Umm Salama. So Salama, who was born in Abyssinia, okay. Just think about the way that it all worked out then. Salama, who was born in Abyssinia, would then marry Umama, the daughter of Hamza, who was being raised in the house of Ja'far from Abyssinia, okay. And this was a marriage that would take place in the lifetime of the Prophet Wasallam. He himself arranging an his salatu between Salama and Umama, may Allah subhanahu wa taala be pleased with them all, all of the companions and have mercy upon them and gather us with them, Allahumma amin. May Allah Azza wa Jal give us always better than that which is taken away from us in this world and give us the companionship of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Jannatul Firdaus as we did not have the opportunity to accompany him in this world, Allahumma amin. wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.